You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latinoamérica in Foco. América Latina in Foco. A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. Alerta Sísmica. Alerta Sísmica. This is Karin Zissas for ASCOA Online in Mexico City. You are just listening to the sound of a Mexican earthquake alarm. Every year, on the morning of September 19th, that noise sounds across the capital, signaling a drill for people to practice safe evacuation from their homes, schools, and workplaces. Why September 19th? It's a date that's etched deep into Mexico City's memory of when an 8.0 magnitude quake struck the capital, left a path of destruction, and claimed thousands of lives. A month ago, the date took on a new meaning. On the anniversary of the 1985 earthquake, and just a few hours after the citywide drill, the alarm sounded again. But this time, for real, as Mexico City pitched and shook from a 7.1 magnitude earthquake. Hundreds lost their lives and hundreds more were displaced from their homes. A month later, many of us who live here are still imagining that the earth keeps moving beneath our feet. Despite how bad the quake was, it was far from as damaging as the one in 1985. Why? One reason is drills like the one held in the morning to help with preparedness. But resilience from a major disaster takes more than a drill. I spoke with Eugene Zapata Garche, Latin America and Caribbean director for 100 Resilient Cities, about the wide range of ways that the region's urban areas need to prepare for disasters, precisely so that they can bounce back. There were two possibilities here. Either you start thinking differently and preparing yourself to face these potential disasters, or you move out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't think there's a possibility of moving 20 million people no. out of this no. valley. The Mexico native talked with me not only about lessons learned in the aftermath of the 1985 catastrophe, but about why Mexico City is so vulnerable to earthquakes in the first place. Um, I think there's different, different ways uh, to answer this question. The city had uh, experienced a much uh, bigger uh, earthquake in 1985, mm -hmm. and it showed that it was not prepared at all. To, to face it. There were no protocols for emergency response for earthquakes. There was a, a big a drop and a failure of many of the city systems. And the way the, the authorities and the population showed up in the 1985 uh, earthquake in the immediate after, aftermath was very disorganized. So this actually um, brought a very important topic to the table, which was how do you anticipate such a catastrophe? Because Mexico City is sitting, as you know, on a lake, on an ancient lake, and it's also located in one of the main um, streams of earthquakes that go from North America all the way down to 
uh, Patagonia mm -hmm. because of the geolog geological conformation of the platforms. So this city will always, will always face earthquakes. So the 1985 earthquake, uh, I guess, was a wake-up call for the population and the authorities that there were two possibilities here. Either you start thinking differently and preparing yourself to face these potential disasters, or you move out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's a possibility of moving 20 million people no. out of this no, valley. I don't think so either. And, and just for a comparison, um, obviously this earthquake took place 32 years later to the day from the 1985 earthquake when it, there are various estimates about as to how many casualties there were in 1985. Some have put it around 10,000. Um, what happened since then? How did the city become can we say more resilient in order to handle an earthquake? I think that the city did become more resilient. And, and why, why, why do I think this? Because first, the, the authorities uh, reviewed all kinds of policies that were related to the urban systems that were affected during the earthquake. This has to do with water infrastructure, for example. It has to do with power which is uh, one of the first things that, that, that comes into failure when, when there's big catastrophes like this one, and that is needed for the reconstruction, but also in, in planning, like building codes were changed, mm -hmm. not only for the materials and the technologies to build um, new infrastructure, but also on the land use. Mm -hmm. You look at a map of risks and vulnerabilities of the city and you know which areas are more prone to disaster. So you change your land use um, regulations to allow for uh, smaller or, or uh, not so tall buildings in that particular region. So all these things started to happen from 1985. And there was also a, a new um, awareness, I should say, in the population about the need to be better prepared in the exact moment of the earthquake. So alerts were put in place, alarms, and protocols with um, the private sector and civil society to, to learn, to, to make people understand and do a lot of teaching and a lot of awareness raising on how to react in the case of an earthquake and how to avoid panic and how to organize yourself. Fists go up, the signal for silence. Search teams can faintly hear a new cry for help. This time, two little girls rescued. 1985 transformed Mexico City into a place of preparedness when inaction by the government resulted in the birth of an active civil society. Now, signs of prevention are present everywhere. People download apps on their phones for alerts of when a quake is coming. In schools, during drills, children learn where in the building that's safe to go in the case of a quake. In restaurants, next to elevators, and in hospitals, signs are posted about what to do when an earthquake occurs. The first rule? Stay calm. There was a whole uh, a set of regulations that were put in place and that proved to some point and to a certain extent, with some success, 
some of them and with less success others, 30 years later that they worked. Mm -hmm. This earthquake was very, very strong. And of course, as you mentioned, there's casualties in the hundreds and buildings uh, that were that collapsed and thousands that were damaged. But I think the city showed that it was better prepared to face it. There's, of course, always room for for improvement. And this is exactly what we're going to do now, uh, hopefully with uh, a lot of support from the international community and, and the people. And I would just want to, to un underline that in both cases, what has always been extremely overwhelming is the reaction of the population mm -hmm. in a very um, solidary way. They, they don't, people, people here don't, don't wait for the solution to come from the authority or from the government. I mean, there's a lot of uh, new ways that the population has organized itself to help each other and to stand up to the, to the challenge of reconstructing the, the, the city. And not only I see today in the immediate aftermath of the emergency, but also in thinking how the city should become more resilient mm -hmm. in the long term, which is, of course, a much harder thing to to meet. The solidarity was incredible in the streets here. I mean, there were uh, collection and donation centers at, uh, on practically every block you turned around, people really pitching in. Um, but there was also a lot of discontent with the way that it was handled by the government and, and, and not, it wasn't specifically, it seemed to me, targeted to one political party or anything like that, but just sort of, as you said, uh, citizens feeling like we're going to get out there and we're going to do something and we're not going to wait. Um, one aspect of resilience is, of course, governance. Um, there was a Guardian article that came out that said since 2012, there have been 6,000 different complaints filed about construction projects in the city and not a clear explanation as to how those were handled. Governance is, is important in terms of transparency to handle situations like this. How, do, how does the city get to become more transparent to make sure that, um, that the proper procedures are followed? What has to happen? Yeah, I, the, the first thing I would say is that resilience, and, and in particular, but, but also any, any public policy in, in general, is not the monopoly or the single uh, um, uh, property of the government. Today, unless we think of dictatorships where everything is taken care of by uh, the authority, today, in any democratic society, there is a co-responsibility of facing problems and finding solutions. So I, I do agree that the population cannot wait for the government to do it, but the government cannot also expect the population to do it alone. So there has to be collaboration, there has to be dialogue, there has to be transparency and understanding, because the efforts, when you bring together the private sector, the academia, the experts, the civil society, with the authorities, with the funds, with the resources, and with the right partners, um, then of course there's a scaling of the capacity to prepare the city to be better. So yes, I think there is a lot to do in governance to, to, to become a more resilient city. Our program, 100 Resilient Cities, started working in, in Mexico City uh, three years ago. And one of the, we did two things, we've been doing two things. First, we created an office of resilience that did not exist. This is a chief resilient officer that has 
not only a, a, a view and a mandate to work across the different departments of the city government, that includes the Department of Mobility, the Department of uh, Civil Protection, Department of Social and Economic Development, you know, working with all of them to think uh, the, 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 the solutions and the paths for a more resilient city, but also a mandate to work with civil society and the private sector. We create what we call, and it, it varies from city to city, uh, resilience committees or resilience advisory councils, where we bring together stakeholders from the city outside of government to talk and dialogue with the government on these challenges, because it cannot be done only by the government. This is impossible. An earthquake, you see the, the, the magnitude of the consequences in every single stream of life, from psychological damage to major infrastructure damage. So this has to include everybody. And, 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 and I think Mexico City is one of those cities where this is possible, because of the population holding hands together, and because, in my opinion, the government has made mistakes, but has also learned from, from, from past lessons. So we created the Office of Resilience, and not only that, the new constitution of Mexico City, which was enacted just this year, recognizes resilience as a mandatory um, uh, approach for public policy. And it's included, it's embedded in five articles of the constitution. There's a new law that created an agency, a resilience agency, that is gonna be staffed and, and, and with funds, that will look into all these issues in the long term, because we're not talking here about the emergency response. Mm -hmm. There is one thing that is the aftermath of an earthquake, where we know that we have to save lives, that's the first thing, and then you have to reconstruct and rebuild. But you don't want to reconstruct and rebuild the same way you have been constructing and building. You have to look into the future and say, hey, we're gonna rebuild this school. Let's not just make a school, let's just, let's make, a, a, a different kind of infrastructure that will be greener, that will be more energy efficient, that will also give more uh, space for uh, public interaction, you know, between like public space and, 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 and for the families to feel better. You have resilience brings to a problem a different menu of solutions. Mm -hmm. I always like to say that a resilient bridge is a bridge that not only solves a problem of mobility or transportation, but it also brings social cohesion, culture, economic opportunity. So that is what a resilience strategy has to think about. Mm -hmm. It's not about <clears throat> only preparing the hospitals or preparing the buildings or preparing the civil response teams to act in the immediate aftermath of the earthquake. It's about using those opportunities to think the, different, the city different in many other aspects, not only disaster risk management. It's very interesting you say that because I think um, when people are looking at what happened here around the world, they see footage of collapsed buildings. And, and that's the first thing they think of is rebuilding that building of, the, of that, that extreme destruction. But of course, if you're walking around the city, you, um, you see 
buildings with cracks in it where people might not be able to live anymore. Or um, everyone here, when you talk to them, is now talking about every time a car alarm goes off that they jump, right? So there's that. And also, we're sitting in a building here in Mexico City on the 18th floor. Um, and there's sort of a thinking of, you know, what floor were you on when this happened? So you can see how just just being, um, just being sitting where we are, um, how things might have changed or how things can change in a city. Um, and so th that's a very interesting aspect of it. This wide-ranging thinking of how are people psychologically affected all the way through to, um, to how technology can change and how things can change in the future, right? I can see that the city was in bad shape to face a major earthquake back in 1985. Mm -hmm. And that these three decades really helped everyone to 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 be better better prepared and 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 there's many things that were done that there were many things that were done that I mentioned that that showed results in a positive way but also 30 years later today and with also new technologies new ways of governance new and uh, different kinds of infrastructures you can't just sit and think that what you did 30 years ago is enough for the next one. Mm -hmm. So this is an opportunity also for the city to rethink all its protocols, rethink all its uh, building codes, its civil protection emergency response uh, systems, the, uh, what you mentioned, its dialogue in transparency with the population and what is working and what is not working. So. This is a long-term work, but it's permanent. I cannot say that the city will be prepared for the next earthquake because there will always be new earthquakes and nature will always be bigger than humankind. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much we prepare ourselves, a, a, a big damaging earthquake or a huge disaster like what we saw in San Juan in Puerto Rico a couple of weeks ago, um, it's very difficult to anticipate. Mm -hmm. So we have to also be, be aware that at, at some point the, the, the city can get ready, can prepare, can change its protocols, but then nature, of course, it's always unpredictable. Resilience is preparing yourself for the predictable and for the unpredictable. But I cannot give you a date or give a stamp to any city in the world saying this is a resilient city that will support any earthquake or any hurricane. That would be very irresponsible to say. And um, I would just add that resilience is not only about natural hazards. An explosion of a fireworks um, warehouse could perhaps bring more damage to the population and to the infrastructure and to the economy of a city than an earthquake. Mm -hmm. Or civil unrest, or racism, mm -hmm. or aging infrastructure. Resilience is also about long, slow, burning, silent, sometimes uh, secret um, diseases that the cities live and that nobody sees. And they're there, like a cancer. So what we try to do is not only to anticipate the earthquake that cannot be anticipated, but you can anticipate a hurricane, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're also trying to anticipate those slow-burning problems and tensions that are chronic 
and it can bring much, much more damage and, and danger to the survival of a city than an, a specific impact from nature. Mm -hmm. And that is what resilience is about. Great. I'm going to ask you one more question because you, you mentioned someone... I know that um, your your focus is really Mexico, but you mentioned San Juan, and and I, given that what we've seen in the past month seems we've seen a lot of damage and and um, disasters that seem to really have been impacting Latin America in particular, from Mexico to Puerto Rico. Um, I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how Latin America as a region is different, and how Latin America as a, as a region has to prepare differently for in terms of resilience. I think Latin America has two very clear challenges when it comes to uh, disaster management. One is earthquakes from Baja California all the way down to Patagonia. Most of our countries face earthquakes. We have seen devastating earthquakes in Mexico City, in Nicaragua, in Haiti, in Chile, in, in Ecuador. And we also have a big love and hate relationship with water. <laughs> we have a lot of floodings. Um, in the in the region, also from Mexico all the way down to Santa Fe in Argentina, and also a big problem with droughts, mm -hmm. also from the north of Mexico and Ciudad Juarez all the way down to Uruguay. Mm -hmm. And when I mean water, it's not only rainwater; it's also hurricanes that come with a lot of wind and a lot of water. So yes, I think Latin America has had great challenges facing natural disasters. Some countries are better prepared than others. We have seen extremely good response from uh, earthquakes um, uh, in, in, in adapting building codes, for example, in Chile. We have seen how some reconstruction has uh, also been done with a resilient lens, not doing the same problems in New Orleans, for example, which is not Latin America, but it's part of our Gulf of Mexico. Mm -hmm. We're seeing how um, San Juan today is going to have to start from zero, and they have already um, understood that this is an opportunity to rethink completely how the city is um, structured. because. Mm -hmm. Logic says that hurricanes will continue coming, and with climate change, they could even be worse mm -hmm. every time they come back. So I would say that, yes, Latin America is a continent that has been prone to these uh, risks and challenges, and that has a big mission looking forward to better prepare itself to, to solve them. Great. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. For more, visit as-coa.org.